The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Sportbox. We are live this morning in central London and at Downing Street as President Trump continues his state visit in the UK. Here are your headlines. Regulation fears hit tech heavyweights amid reports of potential antitrust probes plunging the Nasdaq into correction territory. Well, as Jeff mentioned, President Trump hailing the eternal friendship between the United States and the United Kingdom as Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth rolls out the red carpet in a lavish state banquet. But day two of Mr. Trump's visit will see massive protests massive demonstrations here in central London. In Australia, the RBA cuts rates to a record low of one and a quarter percent, while St. Louis Fed President James Bullard says a US rate cut may also be needed soon. Italian Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte threatens to quit if the Five Star and Lega parties don't stop the political squabbling as he urges them to speed up reforms. A very warm welcome to this special edition of Scorebox with Karen and Jeff in the studio. Myself and Villa Marks on the streets of London. We'll come to that in a few moments' time. But safe to say, day one of the President's state visit to the United Kingdom went pretty smoothly, despite the fact that as he landed at Stanton, of course, he was starting uh, the ongoing battle yet again with Sadiq Khan, the London mayor, calling him a stone-cold loser. But by the end of the day, at an incredibly lavish state banquet, the President was toasting Queen Elizabeth and the eternal friendship between the two countries. But today, we're going to have my colleague, Villa Marks, will be at Downing Street. He'll be covering the political ramifications of this visit, talking about some of the thorny issues that may or may not crop up uh, in a business leaders meeting earlier on, then uh, bilateral talks between uh, the US administration cabinet team and indeed the UK cabinet as well. I'll be on the streets of London following the protests. And of course, July last year, we saw over a quarter of a million people on the streets of London. Many flashpoints potentially could occur today. We'll be covering that throughout Scorebox and beyond on UK programming. And global programming. But for now, let me hand it back to Karen and Jeff in the studio. Steve, thank you very much for setting the scene. Uh, I want to push on and take a look at what we're seeing elsewhere as the US government is reportedly reading a wide-scale investigation into whether the biggest names in Silicon Valley have been abusing their market dominance. That's according to several media reports. Meanwhile, sources have told Reuters the Federal Trade Commission and Department of Justice have divided oversight of the big four tech companies, with the FTC looking into Facebook and Amazon and the DOJ probing Apple and Google. Each agency will then decide whether to open a formal antitrust investigation. Calls for more regulation in the tech sector have been growing louder in the US, but particularly right here in Europe. But let's take a look at the market reaction. The Nasdaq falling as a result of those investigations. 1.6% south for the tech-heavy index, uh, falling into correction territory. So 10% lower than its May 3 closing high. The rest of the markets choppy. The Dow 
just in the green by four points, the S&P reversing. In terms of the major tech stocks, uh, here's a quick look at how they uh, closed across the board. All the names mentioned, uh, Facebook down heavily, shedding more than 7%, Amazon uh, down more than 4.5%, Apple more contained on the charts, uh, but still losing 1%, Netflix down one9 and Alphabet, the owner of Google, shedding a fairly mighty 6% as well. Huge focus in day around some of the data and uh, the market has been questioning whether a recession could be in sight after an inverted yield curve. The data yesterday on the ISM manufacturing side again showing some weakness in the economy. The question is whether it stretches beyond factory uh, to services and the ISM on Wednesday, the non-factory ISM, will be closely watched. We had a terrific discussion about this yesterday on uh, whether the inflation break-evens in the States will be tested. So what we've got currently, the 10-year yield at 2.10%. We've been trading around 2017 levels. The Asian markets today picking up on uh, some of this uh, weakness that we've seen across the States. Trading in the red, uh, China stocks are falling, Shenzhen's down 1% and the Shanghai Composite are so reversing. But you can also see uh, across the board uh, a bit of selling. It's the Australian market probably that's quite compelling today too. The Reserve Bank of Australia cutting rates for the first time in three years. Question is whether the US will be quick to follow. And we saw some comments from the St. Louis Fed President James Bullard yesterday suggesting that a US interest rate cut may be warranted soon given the risk to global growth, the US uh, tensions that have been out there, but also the inflation issues. So we're now getting primed by central banks to be ready for more action. The ECB also on the ticket this week, Jeff. Um, uncertainty reigns supreme here, doesn't it? And we had enough of it yesterday when we talked about the latest round of the, uh, the, the Mexican uh, tariff increase um, and uh, Iran, Venezuela, the Brexit uncertainty, the China trade uncertainty continuing here. And there's just layer upon layer now for investors to have to work through their anxiety over. And of course, um, this technology story just adds to the mix at this point. And I, th I think this is a very important story because for the last, what, two or three years, mm -hmm. we've been sat here talking about technology companies that have repeatedly done things that have been negative for consumers or negative for governments. And the message has been, get your house in order, yeah. take care of these issues. Arguably, very little has been done. They've paid lip service. They've turned up at the hearings, but nothing has changed. And finally, it seems that the government in the United States has lost patience. And we are looking at some antitrust measures and we are looking potentially at other measures that will uh, constrain their ability to make outsized profits going forward. It goes into that uh, cloud of fear for investors at this point because we don't know what the probes could look like and if you have two very different parts of the administration probing through these companies. I mean the FTC is considered a, a regulator that's fairly light touch and it's considering uh, whether it should look into two of the companies, uh, Amazon and Facebook. So potentially you'd rather be those two companies if you've got the FTC casting its eyes over you. The DOJ though uh, has had some uh, fairly decent form in the past. Apple and Google are under its remit. So uh, would you be more concerned if you're investors in those two particular companies? But it goes back to the point, nobody knows at this stage. You know, what have these companies been doing? Um, Apple, for instance, uh, there's an issue here in Europe around Spotify, access to its music platform. At, at the same time, Apple has very aggressively, very swiftly grown its own music system. So is there a fight brewing 
on some of these software services in the states around Apple. And when it comes to Amazon, there have been concerns here in Europe about uh, whether it is taking some of the data from the retailers on its platform and using that to build out its own retail services, which you know sounds on the face of it like it, that could be a possible antitrust area for regulators to, to explore. So we just don't know how market moving can be, what the destruction on the revenue side could be and just how immediately and what that could do for research and development of these companies that are moving fairly swiftly to, to build out technology platforms. Yeah, it's a, it's a watch this space story yeah. at this point. And I think the key, key phrase that you're using repeatedly here is we just don't know. And so we need to keep a close eye on this. But what we do know is that in terms of the leadership of the market, tech has played an outsized role, as it has done yes. in the US economy of late and in the global economy. So that's a story we need to keep a, a very close eye on. What we do know, though, is we've now got a Federal Reserve chief who is talking about the need for interest rate cuts, Jim Bullard, okay, who is, who is a dove anyway, but is now making a case that we should see preemptive interest rate cuts. I think what's changed about the way that he's addressed the issue is the inflation narrative seems to have fallen by the wayside somewhat. This is a direct response to concerns around the trade dispute and what its impact could be on US macroeconomic performance. And I think it's interesting that the argument about inflation has just slipped to the sidelines and it's become one focused on macroeconomic risks at this point. And I'd still ask the question, I'm not the only one asking the question, there are plenty of people out there raising the same issue. Why are we talking about interest rate cuts whilst the US economy has almost record low unemployment at this point? There are lots of argue, uh, reasons to argue that the balance sheet repair from the 2008 financial crisis has actually largely taken place in the United States at a corporate and at a household level. Overall debt levels have risen, as has government debt, and that's something to be concerned about. But for many reasons, you might say, this is not the right time to be cutting interest rates. And the problem with the signals that are being sent here, the bond market is now digging in for a long period of lower rates, which is why we were flirting with that 2% level yesterday on the 10-year. On the Let's pick up on some of your first points around Bullard. I know he's often described as a dove, but I would beg to differ to an extent. I and mean, when we had him around the studio, I said very early on when there was discussion about lifting interest rates, and he was very watchful of that inflation rate. There was an argument that there was some action warranted by the Fed because inflation had started to improve. He's been on the, on the dovish side. He's been described like that because there's not been a lot of inflation of late and the first sign that it starts to slip away. Suddenly Bullard is talking about the potential for, for rate cuts. So I'd, I would call him an inflation watcher. And that's going to be one of the big topics today as power addresses. What happens if you just don't hit those inflation objectives? That will be the one to watch today in that discussion with the Fed. Um, let's uh, close down the conversation on the markets for a moment. You're always welcome to get involved uh, through the usual channels. Uh, let's refocus on this uh, President Trump visit to the UK. A controversial blimp depicting President Trump as a crying baby is expected to form the centrepiece of protests in central London. The demonstration come after the president attended a lavish banquet hosted by the Queen at Buckingham Palace. The president hailed the UK-US relationship in his toast. Thank you for your warm welcome, for this beautiful weather, 
your gracious hospitality and your majesty's nearly seven decades of treasured friendship with the United States of America. This week, we commemorate a mighty endeavor of righteous nations and one of the greatest undertakings in all of history. Seventy-five years ago, more than 150,000 Allied troops were preparing on this island to parachute into France, storm the beaches of Normandy, and win back our civilization. President Trump at the uh, state banquet. Well, let's get straight out to Steve then, who is at Trafalgar Square. What's the scene like there at the moment, Steve? Well, as usual, Jeff, I'm the first one here, but we expect nothing else with the first on CNBC policy, would we as well? So look, here we are at the epicenter of London. I want to do a show and tell for our international viewers as well. Let's just get my excellent cameraman at Camera Mike's on Twitter to just pan through Admiralty Arch, which I'm sure everyone knows was commissioned by Edward VII in memory of his mother, Queen Victoria. And we're looking now down the Mall, which is the grand processional route of London. Uh, and you can see it bedecked with the stars and stripes and you Jacks. We're looking down at Buckingham Palace, which is where this lavish ceremony was yesterday. There was Halibut, there was uh, Windsor Spring Lamb, poor old lambs, uh, and indeed the uh, English sparkling wines. It was all the pomp and ceremony you'd expect from a state visit. But this is where it gets interesting today. Trafalgar Square has historically and will again today be at the epicenter of protests against Mr. Trump, whether it's the carnivore of resistance, the Stop Trump Coalition, you name it, and including Jeremy Corbyn will be speaking here, we understand, the leader of the Labour Party, who could have been there in white tie and tails last night, but he just said, no, I don't want to back up the bigotry and misogyny uh, of the president. Actually, he said, I want to stand firm with the likes of Sadiq Khan, he who was called a stone-cold loser, of course, by the president yesterday, and Sadiq Khan and Jeremy Corbyn don't even like each other. Let's just show you where we are. Trafalgar Square, just to prove it, there's the great man himself, the great Lord Admiral Nelson, who himself passed away, of course, as our viewers will know on the decks of HMS Victory 1805 shot down by a French or Spanish sharpshooter in the British battle against Europe. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? OK, let's move on. That is the Strand, which goes into Fleet Street, by the way. That's where Jeff and Karen are. Good morning to you both as well. Now, let me show you where the flashpoint is, because the police under Cressida Dick have got a what could be an 18 to 25 million pound operation going on here. Yeah, it's huge across the country, protests everywhere. But this is the epicenter because this is Whitehall. Oh, my goodness me. Whitehall's seen some blood and guts over the years. It was where King Charles I went out onto the palace of Whitehall and got his head chopped off by the dratted Cromwellians. We don't expect any of that today, to be fair, but we are expecting that the protesters will try and march down past this bus. Let's shoot through the windows of it. That's what Cameron Mike can do. Down Whitehall as well, because that is where Downing Street is. Uh, as you go down Whitehall, you eventually get to Westminster. We're going to show you the clock of Big Ben just to prove it. There it is, showing, oh, what is it now? 20 past six, quarter past six as well. But before you get to that, on the right-hand side, it is the high-security ring of iron and steel around Downing Street. And that's where the business breakfast is going to be near. That's actually going to be in St. James's Palace. But the bilateral talks between the Trump team with Pompeo and Mnuchin, uh, Ivanka Trump will be there probably as well. They will be meeting the May cabinet. But will it be really that contentious today? Because let's face it, what can the May government say that has got sticking power? Bearing in mind, 
couple of days' time, three days to be exact, Mrs May is resigning as leader of the Conservative Party as well. Uh, and then the race starts for her successor. So any Conservative Party policy, and hence UK-British policy, Really? Does it matter what Mrs May says now? That's contentious. Huawei will come up. Iran will come up. Climate change. Apparently she's going to take him to task on climate change. She's had a couple of years to do so, to be fair. They did pull out in 2017 as well. But as I say, it's a long way away from the pomp and ceremony, ceremony of, of Buckingham Palace, which incidentally was a palace for Queen Charlotte, which was when it was bought off the Duke of Buckingham by George III. So a whole host of potential flashpoints inside Downing Street, at Trafalgar Square, down Whitehall, you name it. It's going to be a day of action. Back to you both. Steve, I've lost track which direction is Clarence House, but uh, some key moments that went viral yesterday. If anyone's going to breach protocol, you'd expect it to be President Trump, but it was actually the Duchess of Cornwall with a, a cheeky wink to the camera over tea. Do you want to just give us a sense of how this trip is going and some of the royal engagements and how you think Trump is fed? Um, so far, so good. Um, there was the, was there a pat on the Queen's back after her speech controversy as well? Uh, don't forget, one of your own premiers was called the Lizard of Oz once uh, when he put his hand uh, on the back of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. You just don't touch the Queen, apart from, of course, if you're Michelle Obama, who actually uh, was, was, it went pretty well. So the question, did he touch her back or not? Is that another area of controversy? Will he get out? Will he be in the Tower of London, which is down that way? Who knows? But I don't think the Duchess of Cornwall necessarily uh, has uh, made a, a brand new rapprochement between US and UK relations. I think things potentially could be very thorny as well, uh, especially when you consider so many senior politicians on both sides of the divide are trying to work out, do you endorse Mr Trump? Do you back Mr Trump? Or actually, do you say, do you know what? I don't want his support. And it's a tricky one that the UK Foreign Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, the UK Foreign Secretary, previous Mr Johnson, are all trying to work out, is it good or not in your battle to become leader of the the Conservative Party having the endorsement of Mr. Trump. And that is obviously something they all have to negotiate individually. And my goodness me, there's a lot of individuals. What are we up to now? 13 people trying to succeed Mrs. May? It's too many, isn't it? I think it is too many. Steve, I think if there were a job going for royal correspondent here, you'd definitely, <laughs> you'd definitely be my pick. And monuments as well. I think you could do monuments. You did that pretty well. We'll, we'll see you a little bit later. Stay well, safe. I with you, Jeff. You're a monument. Yes, thank you very much indeed. Ouch. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Italy. The Italian Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte threatens to quit. Find out why when we come back also. And if you just can't get enough of uh, Steve talking through monuments, you can go to our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast to listen to today's episode. In the meantime, for our listeners out there, stick around for some more. Italian Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte has threatened to step down if the two parties in his coalition government don't stop arguing. At a press conference, Conte urged the five-star and Lega parties to set aside their differences and accelerate their reform program. He also asked the two parties to make a clear decision on the way forward. I call on both political forces, and in particular on their respective leaders, who also play a key role in the governance structure, to make a clear choice to tell me and tell us whether they intend to continue in the spirit of the government contract, drawn up with the aim of achieving its contents. 
Brunello Rosa joins us, CEO and Head of Research, Rosa Andrubini Associates. Brunello, this is quite a dramatic moment would seem uh, where Conti is saying, you know, fix your differences or I step aside. How significant is it? Do you think it's an empty threat? And if it isn't and he steps aside, what ramifications would that have on a market that seems uh, increasingly nervous around Italy and its spending habits? Definitely, yes. It's a momentous uh, uh, moment for Italy. Uh, Salvini gained massively in terms of popularity in the last year or so and then in the European election uh, Lega came out as the first party and uh, now the uh, uh, ratio of uh, strength so to speak within the coalition has completely changed compared to the beginning. In our view Salvini is on his way to Palazzo Chigi to become prime minister but there are still a few hurdles to get there including potentially a general election uh, that needs to be, of course, called by President Mattarella. is not a prime minister or any minister prerogative to do so. So Conte has just uh, uh, put on the table what is evident, uh, i.e. the fact that um, Salvini will eventually become prime minister if things continue this way. And so he effectively said, look, if you want to do it, just tell me and I'll, uh, and I'll uh, move on. Um, smart politicians are good at reading the timing of momentous events and they r recognize the good ones when it's time to step away to avoid being um, blamed of for things that go wrong. Uh, and Italy has a number of issues on the table at the moment that could be momentous. One is the budget row it's having with the Commission and the likelihood of disciplinary action. The other is, are they actually coming out of recession permanently mm -hmm. and will they have growth this year? And I guess the third one is just this ongoing situation with um, trade deals and uh, negotiations around uh, business deals like the FCA uh, story with Renault. So, so let me ask you, is there an argument here that Conti is basically saying, I do not want to be associated with some of these problem issues. It may be time for me to step aside and come back and fight another day. Uh, maybe, uh, but that's true for everybody around the table, including Salvini and Di Maio. Uh, nobody seems to be willing to take the responsibility for the next budget that needs to be particularly uh, uh, high in terms of uh, adjustment uh, uh, required by the Commission, but not, ju not just the Commission. Uh, the law says that Italy will have to increase its VAT rate quite substantially as of 2020 unless uh, uh, different uh, fiscal resources are found. Well, you think, I mean, you think Italy is going to stay in recession, don't you? Yes, we believe that Italy will contract mildly by 0.2% this so year. So if they have to impose that VAT increase, that would be disastrous. That would uh, worsen the situation for sure. It could cause a contraction of more than 1%, 1.5% of GDP. Now, that somehow paradoxically might help in the discussion with the Commission because the still valid... Uh, uh, rules around flexibility allow countries in recession to adjust their fiscal position much more gradually if they are in a recession, however uh, mild. But the problem, of course, is not just the Commission. The problem is that before the judgment of the Commission, there are the markets out there. If the markets don't trust Italy 
to be able to rein in the spending and its overall fiscal position, then this uh, uh, pressure on BTPs will continue to increase. Which begs the question, how far will Salvini push the situation? Because he's called for a fiscal shock. He wants to try and stimulate the economy with fiscal spending. That's quite different when we talk about cuts to spending or tax increases. So, so how quickly, how, how, how much could he try and push the envelope uh, without risking some sort of a, a fine from Brussels? Uh, not very much. In reality, the wriggling room for Italy is very limited. It has been proven that the best way for Italy is just achieving a decent nominal growth, one and a half, two percent nominal, so including inflation. And with, with this kind of uh, level of taxation, uh, that's enough to bring the debt trajectory down. The problem is if nominal growth is low, both because inflation is low and real growth is low, then that becomes unsustainable and the trajectory goes in the wrong direction. Uh, a massive tax cut uh, at this stage would only open a big hole in finances that uh, the market would uh, not judge favorably and therefore it would, it would punish uh, the country, I believe. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.